Good day, all. Welcome to another season of Learning Bible Truth Ministries. I am the founder, host, and teacher, your one and only Dr. Kamla D. Here to teach you Bible truth, to help you grow in faith and learn how to walk in God's amazing grace by teaching Bible truth, not my truth, Bible truth. Here we read scriptures that contain God's word. Remember to pray and ask God for understanding. Put your learning hats on, get your Bibles, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's learn Bible truth. Good morning, everyone. Today is Sunday. It is July the 30th of the year 2023. I am the host, founder, and teacher of Learning Bible Truth Ministries, your one and only Dr. Kamala D. I know it's early, saints. Yes. Now, when I started this series, I mentioned that I am not against people or denominations. My issue is the same as God's issue, false teaching. Now, the reason this is so important is because millions of people that follow false teachings as it relates to God's redemption plan will go to hell if it doesn't include Jesus, the cross, and his resurrection. Now, false teaching is more prevalent today than it was back in Jesus' day. Now, when denominations add procedures to God's salvation plan, I'm talking about denominations that claim to believe in Jesus. It is no longer God's plan, but man's plan. Now, if you believe man's plan over God's plan for salvation, you aren't saved. When in doubt, go to the source that has the correct answers, the Holy Bible. This weekend, we are going to examine Catholicism and purgatory. My Lord, Catholicism teaches that Christians who die in good fellowship with the church, but still not in a state of perfection, will go to an intermediate place after death that is neither heaven nor hell. This intermediate place is known as purgatory. Unbaptized adults, those who have committed mortal sins, according to this tradition, go to Hades or hell. A few perfected persons, listen to this, a few perfected persons that they deem to be perfect, whom they refer to as saints, Go directly to heaven. <laughs> when I was studying for this, I mean, oh man, oh man, man is something else. I think personally, the worst thing God could have, have given man is the ability to think for themselves. My God, defenders of purgatory teach that it will be a time and a place of suffering something similar to the lake of fire, but not as severe and only temporary. Now, if this is true, it would be in the Bible. Okay. 
The claim that the amount of time one spends in purgatory depends on the degree of purging needed based on their sins. Now, Pope Gregory taught that baptism absolves us of original sin, but that we have to remit payment for our actual sins. My goodness, my, this is where you cross over and implement your plan in place of God's plan because Jesus paid it all saints. Now this purging is a preparation of the soul for heaven. So where did this teaching come from? Is there any biblical justification for the doctrine of purgatory? Now supporters of the doctrine generally defend their position by citing Check this out. Second Maccabees chapter 12 verses 39 through 45. Now these are writings in the Apocrypha or collection of writings that Protestants and Bible scholars do not accept as a part of the Bible and neither do I. Now I have the Apocrypha. I clearly understand why hundreds of or possibly thousands of Bible scholars refused to put these writings in the Bible. Number one, they couldn't confirm who the writers are. Number two, these writings are not in line with God's redemption plan. God is very straightforward about his salvation plan for mankind. Now, I myself have quoted writings from the book of Enoch, which is a part of the Apocryphus and the book of Jasher. Jude mentions the book of Enoch and Samuel mentions the book of Jasher. Nothing that I have read contradicts God's redemption plan. So if Jude and Samuel confirm that these books are okay, well then sometimes we can read from them, but I still understand why the scholars didn't put them or, or include the writings in the Bible. Now, since Catholicism quotes from Second uh, Maccabee to support what they teach about purgatory, let's go there because I have all of the Apocrypha writings. So let us look at Second Maccabees chapter 12, verses 36 through 45. Now, I don't know what Bibles you have or what documentation you have or not. So I'm going to assume everyone who is listening this morning doesn't have Maccabees. Okay, but I'm going to be reading. Beginning at verse 36, this is 2 Maccabees chapter 12, beginning at verse 36. There was a war going on, okay? And when those who were with Esdras had been fighting long and were wearied out, Judas called on the Lord to show himself fighting on their side and leading the van of the battle. Verse 37. And then in the language of his fathers, he raised the battle cry, joined with hymns and rushing unawares on the troops of Gorgias, put them to flight. Verse 38. And Judas, gathering his army, came to the city of Abdullam. And as the seventh day was coming on, they purified themselves according to the custom and kept 
the Sabbath there. Verse 39, and on the day following, at which time it had become necessary, Judas and his company came to take up the bodies of those who had fallen, talking about Jews, and in company with their countrymen to bring them back to the tombs of their fathers. Verse 40, but under the garments of each one of the dead, they found consecrated signs of the idols of Jamnia, which the law forbids the Jews to have anything to do with. These were idol gods. And, you know, the entire Old Testament is about, is about the Jews turning their backs on the living God, the true and living God and worshiping idol gods. And let me continue. This is the latter part of verse 40. And it, it became clear to all that it was for this reason that they had fallen. So it became clear to them the reason why these Jews had fallen, had, had died, had, had lost the battle is because they were worshiping idol gods. Verse 41, all therefore blessings, the works of the Lord, the righteous judge, who makes manifest the things that are hid. Verse 42, went themselves to supplication, imploring that the sin committed might be wholly blotted out. And the noble Judas exhorted the multitude to keep themselves from sin. For so much as they had seen before their eyes, what things had come to pass because of the sin of those who had fallen. Verse 43. And when he had made a collection man by man to the sum of 2,000 drachmas of silver, he sent to Jerusalem to offer a sacrifice for sin, doing therein right well and honorably, in that he took thought for a resurrection. Verse 44, for if he were not expecting that those who had fallen would rise again, it was superfluous, meaning unnecessary, and idle to pray for the dead. Verse 45, and if he did it, looking to an honorable memorial of gratitude laid up for those who die in godliness, holy and godly was the thought. For that reason, he made the atoning sacrifice for those who had died so that they might be released from their sins. Now, this text says nothing about purgatory and those who do not accept the authority of the apocryphal writings will not find it compelling even if it did because it would contradict everything Jesus and his hand-picked apostles taught. And I also want you to pick up on another thing. God never spoke in these writings. You know, when God speaks, he speaks through his prophets and the writings always say, thus says the Lord. So this was uh, Maccabee talking and he was saying some things and it has nothing to do with purgatory, but these are some of the writings where Catholicism get purgatory from. Okay. Now I read it to you. 
Now, like I said, the Apocrypha is not included in the Bible because number one, again, Bible scholars can't confirm who the writers, writers are and when they were written. Number two, the writings are not in line with God's redemption plan for mankind. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't read from them. I have read from the book of Jasher and, and the book of Enoch. Now, both books are mentioned in the Bible, like I said before. These books contain historical events, but are not related to God's salvation plan. Now, the other writings that is sometimes cited by Catholicism to support purgatory is 1 Corinthians. Yeah, now we are moving into the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, and I am reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. Now, throughout this episode, I will be reading from the ESV and the New King James Version. I was switching back and forth in my studies because the ESV explains some texts a little better than the, the New King James and the New King James explains some texts a little better than it, than the ESV. So I switched up uh, some of these scriptures, but in the end, we end up in the same place. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. And what they zero in on is where the concluding phrase is, but only as through fire. So let me say this. It's a dangerous thing to misunderstand the Bible. Okay. Now I am reading beginning at, uh, verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me, this is the apostle Paul talking like a skilled master builder. I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, upon what the foundation of the gospel of Jesus. Verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ, verse 12 and 13. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Now, the day he is talking about is the day of judgment Christians coming before the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 14 and 15 says, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Let me read 14 again. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive an award. Verse 15 says, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved, but only through fire. Now I will repeat what I said a few seconds ago. It is a dangerous thing to misunderstand and misquote the Bible. The latter part of verse 15 is talking about the works of the believer. The believer will be saved, but his or her unfruitful works will be burned up. Not him. His unfruitful works will be burned up. But again, there is nothing in these texts that indicates that there will be a time and place after death in which individuals will be purged of their sins committed in this life. 
Now, the doctrine of purgatory fails the biblical test, both in terms of direct interpretation of the specifically cited text and in terms of the overall teaching of scripture. Neither of these classically cited passages mentions purgatory by name or by concept. I need y'all to get that. Even more, this doctrine denies one of the fundamental teachings of the New Testament, that Jesus' death on the cross atoned for all of our sins, not just our original sins before we got born again. So now we are going to go read scriptures that contradict teachings of purgatory. Okay, remember, God is not the author of confusion and he does not contradict himself his redemption plan for mankind is very clear in the Bible. So let's look at Romans chapter three. I will be reading verses 21 through 26. And this is still the ESV version, which is the English standard version. Verse 21 and 22 says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Verse 23 and 24 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25 and 26 says, whom God put forward as a propitiation, which is an atonement, by his blood, whose blood, Jesus's blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I want y'all to pay attention. This is God's redemption plan that we are reading. We don't hear anything about purgatory. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 21 says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Who is him to be sin? Jesus. He made Jesus to become sin who didn't know any sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Now, because of that atonement, though we will all, and I'm talking about believers, will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, those who have placed faith in Christ will never face condemnation. Never. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse two says, through him, him who Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. My Lord, now, I want you to focus on um, Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified, that word justified means we have been declared righteous in the sight of God by faith. 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. My Lord, all of these scriptures, all of these scriptures, and these scriptures are in the Catholic Bible. They are overlooking these, but going to scriptures that thousands of scholars refuse to accept because they are not in line with God's redemption plan. Okay. Now let's look at um, Romans chapter eight, verses one and two. Remember purgatory here. Verse one says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse two says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, from the law of sin and death. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 10 says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The judgment seat of Christ, Christians go before the judgment seat of Christ to receive their rewards. Some will get some rewards and some won't because of our fruitful works and our unfruitful works. OK, but remember Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We don't go before the judgment seat of Christ to be condemned because those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation for us. Okay. Um, now I want you to remember that we are complete in Christ. There is no purgatory. This is not an opinion saints. It's a fact. I am reading you scriptures. So I want you to go to Colossians chapter two. This is the new King James version Colossians chapter two. And I will be reading verses eight through 15. It says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. According to the tradition of men, this is the issue with all of this false teaching, the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. Verse nine and 10 says, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, which is God, the son. Remember God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him. Let me say that two more times. And you are complete in Christ. You are complete in Christ, who is the head of all principality and power. Verse 11 and 12 says, in him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ buried with him in baptism. This is water baptism in which you also were raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Water baptism is, is symbolic to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. So this is what this is talking about. In him, you also, you were also circumcised. So this is saying to the Jews and um, not the Gentiles, but we are, we, when we accepted Christ, we are, we became born again too. But the reason the apostle Paul is writing this, because we had some Jews who were, who were under the Abrahamic covenant and the, um, Mosaic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, 
consisted of all males being circumcised. So the apostle Paul is saying in Christ, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. So you didn't need to have your penis, the foreskin of your, your penis after you turned eight days old cut off. He's saying you are being circumcised in your heart. You are not being circumcised made with hands by putting off uh, the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So we are circumcised in our hearts with the Holy Spirit. That's the circumcision of Christ. Okay. Um, and let's read verse 12 again before I go to 13 and 14. Buried with him in baptism. Water baptism, it symbolizes the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ when we come up out of the water. Buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And verse 13 and 14 says, and let me just read 13, 14 and 15 through. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made you alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Did you hear that? Having forgiven you all trespasses. We're not just talking about the sins that you committed before you came to Christ. We're talking about because you're not perfect. The sins you may have committed after salvation. And let me tell you this, your sins that you may commit not only after, but your future sins. They have all been forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Verse 13, if you want to circle that, highlight it, put it in bold letters, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, talking about Christ, has made you alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. All of it. This is not a license to sin, but your sins are forgiven. You don't need to go to purgatory when you die. Okay. Verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against you. This is talking about the law, the Mosaic law and the Abrahamic law. All of that ended when Christ died on the cross, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. Of course, the law was against us because the law was filled with condemnation. It was filled with judgment. Okay. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. The handwriting, the law, the Abrahamic covenant, and the Mosaic covenant was nailed to the cross when Christ died. We are under the covenant of love. Verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it. Now we as believers are complete in Christ saints. We don't, we don't go to no intermediate place after we die. We are complete in Christ. Everything that Christ did on the cross is enough for our salvation. All we have to do is believe as long as we believe that he is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. Our salvation is sealed. Christ paid for every sin we have ever committed. His blood sacrifice covers future sins that Christians commit. Okay, because we're not perfect. We will stumble and fall. Uh, now, to confirm what I just said, 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, New King James Version says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. 
Verse nine says, is if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now the apostle John is talking to Christians. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, don't you think purgatory would have been added here? If there was such a thing, it would have been added here. Now, let me clarify something because I want you to understand. Remember, this is learning Bible truth. Now, when the apostle John says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He is talking to two different audiences. There had been unbelievers that had entered into the fold and were saying they didn't need Jesus because they didn't have any sin. They don't commit sin. They live holy lives. So the apostle John was saying, if you say that you have no sin, you deceive yourselves and the truth is not in you. And then he talks to the believers. He said, Hey, if you confess your sins, cause you don't confess your sins for salvation. You confess the savior for salvation, which is written in Romans 10 verse nine and 10. So we don't confess our sins to be saved. We confess the savior to be saved. So in verse nine, the apostle John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful who God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there is no need to be lying saying you don't have any sin. Okay. Christ is the forever atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, first John chapter two, verses one and two ESV says, and this is the apostle John talking to Christians. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Because let me tell you, the blood of Jesus is not a license to sin. God's grace is not a license for Christians to sin. Okay. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, this knocks purgatory out of the water right here. Because we are going to stumble. I'm, I have to leave out of here today. I'm trust me. I may sin in thought. Somebody cut in front of me. I may say something that I'd be like, Lord, forgive me. Okay. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father. This is the forever toning sacrifice that I'm talking about the blood of Jesus. We have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, Jesus verse two says he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours alone, but also for the sins of the whole world. How are Catholics missing these scriptures? And it's in their Bible. I have their Bible. Their Bible is just like ours. It, the only difference is that their organization has put all of the apocryphas in the scriptures with the Holy Bible. That's the only difference. They have all of these scriptures that I'm reading right here. Second Corinthians chapter five, verses 18 and 19. And then I'm going to read verse 21, uh, just uh, verse 20. Just, I didn't think it was necessary to read it, but you can write down these scriptures and read for yourself. Second Corinthians chapter five, I'm going to read verses 18 and 19. And then verse 21 says, now all these things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, 
not imputing their trespasses or their sins against them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Verse 21 says, for he talking about God made him talking about Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We might become the righteousness of God in him, in him who Jesus. Now, once again, we are complete in Christ. There is no purgatory saints. There is no intermediate place where sinning Christians go to purge their sins. Before we move to confession, let's hear from Christ himself. Okay, go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, and I will be reading verses 28 through 30. And this is the ESV. Jesus says, I give them him who those that believe in him eternal life and they will never perish. He said never. And no one will snatch them out of my hand, not even Catholicism. Verse 29 and 30 says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Now, as it relates to going to confession, go to, go to, uh, James chapter five, verse 16. This is the ESV James chapter five, verse 16. James, it was Jesus's earthly brother. They had the same mother. James says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Or your version may say the prayer of a righteous, talking about those in Christ, person availeth much. Galatians chapter 6 Verses one through three ESV says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any trespass, now these are Christians. This is what, what the uh, Galatians, the apostle Paul, uh, who he was writing to, he was writing to Christians. Okay. So he know they're going to fall. He know we are going to sin after. Don't you think the apostle Paul would mention purgatory? Well, let's read and see if he mentions there is a purgatory. Verses uh, one through three says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, meaning sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That means those who are walking in the spirit, those Christians who haven't fallen at this point, you are to restore such a one with the spirit of gentleness or either the spirit of meekness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It doesn't say anything about going to a confessional booth and confess your sins to a man behind a curtain. Okay. Verse three says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. We are not above fallen saints. We are going to fall. This is why Jesus is his blood is the forever atoning sacrifice for our sins. We just shouldn't wake up, wake up every day 
planning to sin saying, oh, I'm covered in the blood of Jesus. Uh-uh. Because that means you ain't saved. You ain't born again. A born again believer with a renewed mind will not think that way. I just wanted to make sure you guys understand that because I ain't telling you, you have a license to sin. No, we're not. The Bible says, confess your sins to one another. Share your struggles with your sisters and brothers in Christ who you can trust. Because you can't trust everybody. You can't share all your business with everybody. It'll be on social media. So be careful who you share your faults with. Share your sins with someone who will not judge you, but will pray with or for you. We need help when we struggle, saints. We need earthly help because we know we can go to Jesus. We know we can pray to God, but we need that physical help too. And right here, we are being given scriptures to support that. It's okay to go to your sisters and brothers and share your faults with them so that they can help you. Those who are walking upright can help you. Do not confess to a non-believer. Okay. Don't sit under the counsel of the ungodly. They will convince you that it's okay for you to keep sinning. And I know some who does that today because you got to remember no one is perfect, but we should never ever try to convince someone or encourage someone to keep sinning and that it's okay. The Bible doesn't teach that it's okay for a believer to, to keep sinning. And the Bible doesn't teach that your sins will be purged in purgatory after you have been born again, have, have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. And if you sin, you're going to go to a place called purgatory when you die to have your sins purged. We can't atone for our sins because I will say, let me tell you something. Our works are as filthy rags and our blood is not holy. We are holy through the blood of Jesus. The wages of sin is still death, saints, but the gift of God is still eternal life, Romans 6, 23. Now, the Bible under the new covenant doesn't teach us to go and confess your sins to a priest sitting behind a curtain in a room. Who Now, now I ask you this, who is he confessing his sins to? In the Old Testament, under the Mosaic law, the high priest went into the temple once a year in the Holy of Holies to offer the blood of animals as a sacrifice for the sins and the sin for his sins first. Okay. And the sins of the people talking about the Jews. So let's read Hebrews chapter nine, verses six through 15. We are doing a lot of reading. You know what? Because it's scriptures that's going to back up what I'm saying. Okay. It's these scriptures that's going to tell you the truth. This is the new King James version. Hebrews nine, six, 15. Now, when these things have been thus prepared and he's referring to the old Testament, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he committed in ignorance. Verse eight says the Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. See, that was temporary back then. What he's talking about is the priest did that until Christ came. All that was temporary. It didn't save anybody. All it did was, was bring to your remembrance once a year about the sins you were committing against God. Okay. Verse nine says, it was symbolic. Didn't I just got through saying that? It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. 
Verse 10 says, concern only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. Time of reformation is what? Christ. Verse 11 and 12 says, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, once for all. There's no purgatory once for all. The blood of Jesus takes care of all of our sins once for all having obtained eternal redemption. Now, if Jesus once and for all shed his blood for us as a sacrifice and obtained eternal redemption, if our redemption is eternal, why is there a need for purgatory? If purgatory exists and was included in God's redemption plan, don't you think it would be fit in right here? Don't you think it would go right here? Okay. All right. Verses 13 and 14. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, meaning a young female cow, sprinkling the unclean sacrifices for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. As I mentioned before, back then the purpose of the high priest going into the Holy of Holies to offer sacrifices for the Jews back then or for the people was to remind them of the sins that they were committing. They had a consciousness of sin. So when Christ came, the latter part of 14, cleanse your conscience. So accepting Christ, his blood can cleanse your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God. It can cleanse your conscience from sin so that you can serve the true and living God. It removes the condemnation from your consciousness so that you can serve the, the living God. It removes condemnation so that you won't feel condemned. Are you getting this? There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So you don't have to feel guilty. If you happen to fall short, you are no longer condemned in the sight of God. Okay. Verse 15. And for this reason, he is the mediator who Christ, not Catholicism. Christ is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. My Lord, we don't need a priest to enter the Holy of Holies anymore. Saints Christ is our high priest. His blood is the only sacrifice we need. There is no purgatory. I'm going to keep saying that throughout this because, because this is what this episode is about. Coupled with scriptures I already shared, we don't need to go to confession for God to forgive your sins. No, you don't have to go and confess to a, a so-called priest who have to confess his sins. How can a sinner save you? Now, let's go to some deep scriptures. Go to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, and this is going to be the New King James Version. I am going to be reading verses 50 through 52. And Jesus cried out 
again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit or yielded up the ghost. This is him dying on the cross for our sins. Verse 51, then behold, the veil of the temple was torn into from top to bottom and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. Verse 52. Now this is the, um, the, the heavy part. Uh, it, it requires another teaching, but I'm sharing this with you because I know you would have seen it anyway. And I want to give you just a little brief, um, explanation of it. And the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. These were the saints who had died in the Old Testament. They had already believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And they had went into Abraham's bosom, which was a place called paradise in the ground. Okay. It was across from Hades. And Jesus took them with him when he rose from the dead. And now if you can remember when he, before he died on the cross, Jesus was in between two thieves. And one of them believed on him. And he said, today you will be with me in paradise. So what Jesus was saying, when he went down in the ground to Hades, which was across from paradise, hallelujah. He took those, including that thief with him. When he rose from the dead, he rose from the dead. Now verse 53, which I'm not reading, but it goes on to talk about those people who rose from the dead with Christ went through and start walking and, and talking to some of the people. Now that's heavy. That that's heavy, but you don't need to focus on that. It doesn't have anything to do with your redemption, with your salvation. Okay. Now verse 51 is what I want you to focus on. The veil in the temple that separated the first part of, of the temple from the Holy of Holies was torn from top to bottom, giving us free access to God. You don't need a priest to confess to. We have been given free access to God. We can go boldly to the throne of grace for ourselves. Go to Hebrews chapter four, Hebrews chapter four. This is still the new King James version. I will be reading verses 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest talking about Jesus who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast our confession. Verse 15 and 16 says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are because he was in the flesh. The flesh is why Jesus was tempted, yet he didn't sin. The latter part of 15, yet without sin, he didn't sin at all. If Jesus had fallen prey to his flesh, he would not have been able to save us. He saved us because he was without sin. He was able to do it. He conquered sin, which was destroying every human being on the planet. He conquered it so that through his suffering, we can be made right with God. We can go boldly to the throne of grace. Verse 16 says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Not after we die. We don't go to the throne of grace after we die. We go to the throne of grace to help us in our time of need. Now, you don't have to go and confess to a priest. God has given us several tools. Confess your faults to one another so that we can encourage one another. We can pray for one another. We can pray with one another. We can intercede on behalf of others. 
Okay. You don't need a priest who needs salvation himself to speak for you. Jesus is our high priest. You can go directly to him in your time of need. He was tempted in the flesh, but, but was without sin. You can't confess. And I can never say this enough to a sinner behind a curtain and think you will be okay. You can't do it. Saints. Now, if all else fails, if you don't know how to confess your sins, go to Psalms 51. Psalms 51, you can use as a guide to how you can properly confess your sins directly to God. This is David, the King David, confessing his sins when he sinned against God by having Bathsheba husband killed, Uriah killed so that he can have her. And he confessed his sins to God. So ask God to help deliver you and he will. Don't sugarcoat your sins with God. He sees everything anyway. So don't sugarcoat it. Don't try to justify it. You know, we have a lot of people that don't want to hold themselves accountable. They want to blame everybody but themselves. No, you are led away by your own desires. Okay. Now, so what we can do is confess our sins at the throne of grace. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and will cleanse us uh, from all of our sins, no matter what we have done. You haven't done anything God doesn't know about and that God hasn't seen already. From the beginning of time all the way till today, God's seen it all. So don't be ashamed to go to the throne of grace and confess your sins. Throw yourself on the mercy of the court. That's what you do. God, forgive me. Use Psalm 51 as a guide and he won't remember your sins anymore. Man remembers your sins like Catholicism does telling you creating a purgatory telling that's where you going. And I read the scriptures where they claim they're getting this from. It's not in there. And if it was, it still would be contrary to what is already written about God's redemption plan. We cannot eliminate the writings of the apostles and Jesus. Okay. We can't do that. Now in the old Testament, only the Levitical priesthood could go into the temple. Only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies, which was the second part of the temple. The high priest went to God on behalf of the people. When we accept Christ as Lord and Savior, we become priests of a royal priesthood. This is why we can go into the Holy of Holies. This is why the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom, removing the barrier so that we can have free access to God. Go to First uh, Peter. First Peter chapter two, since the priest was the only one who could go into the Holy of Holies, when Christ tore that veil in two, this right here, first Peter chapter two, verses nine and 10 is the reason we can go into the Holy of Holies. We don't need nobody to go for us anymore. And it says, beginning at verse nine, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. That's us. Ain't no hand picked to be priests by men. We are priests when we accept Christ, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, right here, he's talking about the Jews. Verse 10, he is talking about the Gentiles. He's talking about us. So we are included in that royal priesthood. Okay. Verse 10, who once were not a people talking about the Gentiles but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. How did we obtain it? Through Jesus Christ. Now, 
I want you to zero in on verse 10. Those in Christ are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We're talking about those in Christ. That's who we are. We are royal priests. We can speak for ourselves. We can pray for one another. We can pray on behalf of one another. But make no mistakes about it, saints. We can go boldly to the throne of grace and confess on our own behalf. Jesus will intercede on our behalf. There is nowhere in the Bible, including the Catholic Bible, that tells us to go to confession and confess your sins to a priest. This process may be in the Catholic religion. It may be in their tradition, but it is not in the Bible. There is nothing in the Bible that tells us to pray to Mary either. Oh, I know I touched on something, but you need to know the truth. And you wonder why your prayers ain't answered. Let me tell you something. My mother and father are no longer living. They are asleep in Jesus, just like Mary. Mary is not a deity. She was a human being just like you and me. And let me tell you this. I don't mean to sound vulgar, but Mary had a period just like I did. Mine have stopped now because I'm up in age. But Mary had a period just like I did. And like every other woman who was born has. Mary was a human being and she is sleeping Jesus. You won't find any scriptures in the Bible where Mary was treated with special uh, privileges or treated like a God. It's taught in the Catholic religion. Praying to Mary is not even in the Catholic Bible. I have it, saints. It's a regular Bible. They just have the Apocrypha in it. They have the same Bible that you and I have. The only difference is they kept the writings of the Apocrypha in there. That's it. So praying to Mary is not listed in the Apocrypha either. I've read it. It's not there. And the last I heard, the Catholic leaders, the Catholic religion said they are going to change the Lord's Prayer. Yeah, you heard me right. They said that they are going to change the Lord's Prayer. Number one, they misunderstand the Bible so much they don't even know the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is John chapter 17. That's the prayer that the Lord prayed. Catholics say the Lord's Prayer is Luke 11 too. That's not the Lord's Prayer. It's known as a model for prayer. Now, we shouldn't say that prayer today because most of what Jesus said us, um, us to do as a guide has already come to pass. Our Father who art in heaven and the rest of that, some of this stuff have already come to pass. So that was a model prayer. That is not the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is John chapter 17, Okay. So we learn today that there is no purgatory for any Christian that pass away. The Bible calls sleep. We go straight into the bosom of Jesus. That's where we go. Second Corinthians five verses five through eight says, and this is the new King James version. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God who also has given us the spirit as a guarantee. That's the Holy Spirit when we are born again, that seal of approval that we belong to God, we are saved. Right here tells you, ain't no purgatory. How you gonna burn up the Holy Spirit in, in this intermediate place to purge your sins? We don't have sin as long as that, that seal is in us. Man, I can go on for, for days with this. 
verse six. So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. If we are at home in the body, still living in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Verse seven says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Verse verse eight is what I want you to zero in on. We are confident. Yes. Well, pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So if we are absent from the body and present with the Lord, how are we pit stopping in the purgatory to be purged? It will be included right here. It doesn't say it. There is no intermediate place where sinning Christians go to suffer a while and, and have their sins purged. It doesn't exist. Saints, stop listening to everything. Every religion tells you when you can go to the Bible and compare and find out what's the truth. Romans 8, 1 and 2. Let me leave you with this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, no one in Christ will ever see condemnation when you pass away. You go straight to the bosom of Jesus. If you are born again, we will be with him. There is no pit stopping. There is no purgatory or soul sleeping. Now, remember when I taught uh, the last uh, religion, Jehovah's Witnesses, what they teach. Um, I, I left out when they say those who accept the ransom of Jesus, they go into what they call soul sleeping. Now, the scriptures speak for themselves to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And you ain't soul sleeping. OK, you are not soul sleeping. Now, I hope you were blessed by this truth today. Share this message with your Catholic friends so that they won't feel guilty if they don't practice any of those rituals that Catholicism teaches. Hit the follow button. So you can be alerted when I upload another episode. So uh, next week I will share another episode from the race, religion, and racism series. Until next time, saints, walk in love, choose Jesus, wear your cross, to God be all the glory. Peace out. I hope you were blessed by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this particular episode or any previous episodes, please send your comments or questions to talkingbibletruth.cd at gmail.com. And if you would like to support this podcast financially, because it has been a blessing to you, go to one of my five podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or Radio Public, and contribute an amount of your choice. Or you can send your seed to me via Cash App. Dollar sign, Dr. Kamla D. That's dollar sign, capital D, lowercase r, capital C, lowercase a-m-a-l-e, capital D. Anything you choose to send will be greatly appreciated. Now until next time, saints, remember that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by sight. I am your host, Dr. Kamala D, rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope to see you next time.